This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 14th, episode 2139. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Woohoo! Welcome back to the Mary Kitzmiller Show, second Thursday of every month. And coming up on today's show, Mary's going to have a tip about putting in the time to get your horse to do what he needs to do, as well as you. And then we're going to hear some answers to listener questions. Hopefully, Sam and Rebecca will be stopping by. And Rebecca's going to chat a little bit about Mustangs and tip challenges and different ways you can dip your toe into the Mustang makeover biz and overall geek out about horse training. So there you go. Welcome back, Mary. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's actually sun shining out. It's not raining as it's been uh, in Texas. And uh, I'm enjoying the heck out of daylight savings. Finally, finally, it's not dark at 430. <laughs> See here, because Glenn and I are both early risers and early to betters, you know, eight o'clock, 830 rolls around, we're out of here. It kind of stinks for us because now, at least until summer gets closer, right now it at feeding time, it's still dark again because yeah. we, ch- we changed the clocks. But that will change soon enough. Now, did I hear that once again, our lovely, dependable, trusted government is thinking about getting rid of the whole change your clocks twice a year thing? Did I hear that? Uh, I hope so. I don't, I think I saw that floating around and I don't know if that's just uh, one of those wishful thinking type yeah. things. It doesn't make sense. Although it almost is worth it that one day a year where you get to sleep in an hour. And that's pretty, <laughs> that was pretty cool, but there's nothing, especially for you guys that have to like work inside all day. You know, you drive to work in the dark and you leave in the dark and you just, it's darkness all the time. And, and, uh, for me, you know, having to feed so early because it's going to get too dark out. Um, this is just, this is like a breath of fresh air. It's so, it's so nice to have (laughs) sunlight at seven o'clock. I love it. Now, according to my memory, my, my memory banks may be a little bit off here. If I remember right, the whole thing got started because the business community was concerned that folks were not going out after work to enjoy shopping and movies because it got dark and they did not feel safe in the cities going about what they wanted to do in the dark. And that's how the whole thing got started. Now, um, there's probably further details that may change the flavor of that statement, and I'm sure I will get uh, 
I will get emails from people. So send your complaints to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. So, um, yeah, I'm okay with totally ditching it. The time is what the time is, the what the time is, and just leave it there. Yeah, I hope yeah. they leave it like where it is right now. So I think the isn't the standard what we had over the winter, and that what it's supposed to be, and then we started adding the hour of sunlight. Or I think so. I think now we're on daylight savings, and standard is in the winter. Is that how it goes? I don't. I feel know. like it is, but yeah. I want it where it is right now. Right. Now. Okay. No I'm I'm good with that. So speaking of time, yeah. Time is important. Time is limited. Time is hard to find when it comes to going out and playing with our ponies. So your training tip today is putting in the time. Please explain. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I've worked with a lot of really great clients over the years, and I've I've talked with a lot of horse owners, and one of the biggest frustrations that people come across is, oh, my horse misbehaves. He does this or I can't ride him because of this. And I just want to enjoy my horse. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's always some big problem the horse has that they're always trying to get over. And it seems like it takes years and it's, it's never getting any better. And, um, you know, the big problem with all of this is, and, and I completely understand and I empathize, um, but one of the reasons why your horse just never seems to get over that hump is it takes lots and lots and lots of concentrated training just to train a new behavior. Now, imagine if your horse has this really ingrained habit that they it just keeps building and building every day. You're going to have to spend twice the time it took them to learn the thing, to undo it all. And it, it takes, you can't do it, one, you know, you can't do it on a once a week schedule or, you know, once every other weekend. You've got to put in really solid time to get your horse to a good spot. I had a trainer once tell me that it takes, um, he thought it took 200 rides to get a horse broke. And by broke, I don't mean like completely done, finished training broke, but really, you know, going well, fairly dependable, 200 rides. So if you're doing that every day, that's, you know, that's the better part of a year, um, but, you know, if you're doing that once or twice a week or a few times a month, think of how long, how many years that's going to stretch out. Um, and, and really those 200 rides need to be right on top of each other. So, you know, we, we, uh, I, I see this all the time with horses that, you know, they come to a clinic and they've got an issue with pulling back and then I see them years later and they're still pulling back. Um, if your horse has a challenge or a problem or you're just trying to get him to a better spot, you have got to find a way to put the time in on this horse. And I'm talking every day. Let's say you just, you really only have three times a week you can work your horse. Um, you are better off putting those three rides right on top of each other three days in a row and then letting them soak the rest of the week. They just need that repetitive over and over and over again, review what we learned yesterday, build on that from yesterday and start it again today. But, um, you know, I don't know if I said it before, but horses aren't motorcycles. You can't put them in a garage and then get them out every so often to, you know, take off the, take off the cover, dust them off and hit the road and expect them to be perfect for you. Even motorcycles need maintenance or they're not going to run correctly. <laughs> But, you know, yeah, yeah. P American Pickers comes to mind. They find the, the 1947 Harley in, the, in that shed. It's not going to start up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, but unless it's some miracle, but 
you know, I did a clinic once and uh, there was a particular person in this clinic who right away, I showed up the night before to the barn where I'm supposed to do the clinic. And right away, this person says, oh, I can't make it tomorrow morning. I have to pick up my dad at the airport or whatever. I said, okay, no problem. Just jump in when you can. And she always had an excuse for, you know, I can't, I can't come this evening because I've got to take so-and-so out to dinner. I can't, da, 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 you know. And the way my clinic ran, this was, it's, it was an obstacle clinic. And I started everyone on the ground and started with very easy obstacles. And I showed them how to correctly send your horse through the obstacle. And we would add more challenges as the horses got more educated. And it was a pretty big and busy clinic. And I didn't, you know, I only kind of half realized that this woman had not been to most of it. And we're on the final day and uh, I'm having the horses go through some pretty challenging obstacles because they've spent, you know, this whole clinic building and putting in the work, putting in the time, getting their horses over smaller, more easy to do obstacles. And then, um, you know, now we're, we're crossing tarps and pool noodles and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's my fault for not going in there and saying, hey, you need to sit this one out. But, you know, I can't keep track of everyone and I wasn't sure how much time she'd actually put in and, you know, um, but long story short, she ended up getting dumped by her horse because one of the obstacles was too scary for it. And she just kind of had this existential crisis, like, I just want to ride and I just want to enjoy my horse and da 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 and, and I'm thinking, we weren't here, you know, and I, as it turns out, she hadn't ridden her horse for months before the clinic. And, and then I, I had other people from that barn say, oh, she's terrified of that horse. That horse has dumped her several times. And I'm like, why won't you put in the time? And I know where it comes from. This is not a bad person. And, and, you know, she, where it comes from is this aversion when you've, when you've had scary things happen, you you kind of find excuses to avoid going out to the barn and really yeah. working on it, but you're just setting yourself up for, for a big problem. And, you know, if you cannot, you know, I get it. Not everyone is a professional horse trainer that is riding horses all day. Even I don't have the time to ride horses all day. And this is my job. Um, so if you can't make that happen yourself, if it's a confidence issue or you just don't have the time, you're, you know, you're being a lawyer all day or you're, you're, um, you know, you're taking care of kids all day and you've just got to put the time in elsewhere. Um, you need to find a professional trainer who can help you. And I, I, I personally, as a trainer, am shying away from doing the kind of 30 or 60 day training because, Horses come untrained. So if you get 30 good rides in on your horse with a really good trainer and you take you bring it home and you don't ride it every day or you don't keep that up and you just, you know, you you try to go back to this once or twice a month thing, your horse will come untrained or at the very least he's going to be really rambunctious because he hasn't had concentrated training and exercise. Um so, you know, let's say you come down to it and you're like, I do not have the time to put into this horse what he needs. This is where, okay, you've got to make some real decisions. Um, you either have to decide I'm going to, I'm going to turn him out to pasture and let him be my companion on the ground and get something that's better suited. That doesn't need quite as much upkeep, um, to get a horse on that level. 
Um, I've got a few of them in my barn where it's not ideal to just pull them out a couple of times a year, but if I did, they would be fine. They would be fine. I think think that's an, an innate quality of certain horses that can get to that place. But I think yes, I think there are some horses horse that will never get to that place. Is it just not the way they're made? Yeah, and yeah. even the horses that I do, I have at that spot. It took thousands of rides for yeah. me to get thousands. them there, and hauling. I hauled these guys everywhere. I tied them to trailers. I, you know, I I showed them. I took them to demos. I've hauled them to Washington State and back to Texas. Um, I've ridden them for hours and hours and hours and hours. And that's what it takes to get a horse to that point. Um, so, you know, that, that can be bought. It's, it's pricey, but even that horse, if I sent my good old boy, saint of a horse, Guthrie, um, down the road and, you know, someone wasn't really prepared to be riding, um, they could untrain him as, you know, as in less time than it took me to train him, you know, in, in certain hands, Guthrie could be a horse that like I have to pull out of the rafters every morning cause he's bonkers. Um, so you know, this, this might all sound kind of frustrating and you might have this horse in your barn now that you're, you're not really confident about getting on because he's got all these issues. But I, and I've talked about this before, the way to go about it, you have to change your mindset instead of being frustrated that you can't do something with your horse, come at it from a perspective of, okay, here's where we are today. This is what we need to do. Um, I've really you know, over the years, I've really dumped this idea. I I don't get frustrated with my horses anymore. Um, for the most part, uh, nobody's perfect, but I'm not frustrated because like I talked about last month, you know, whatever they're doing today, if I come out on their, you know, they're jumping in place or it's like flying a horse kite. Okay. Well, that's what we work on today. And to me personally, that brings just as much as enjoyment as if I had saddled them up and taken them on the trail. I love trying to work out all the kinks and figuring out, okay, what's making you tick right now? What do I need to do? And to me, that can be just as fulfilling. Um, but the most important thing, you know, obviously experience is important. Having good timing, having good feel is very important. We have to develop that ourselves, but I'd say the number one is just time. You have to put in the time, even if it's five minutes a day. Um, just the act of going out there and being with your horse is going to mean something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so hard because, but then on the other hand, it's hard to find that time, but on the other hand, there are so many options that are worth investigating. Share the horse with somebody so somebody else can do the work with you. You know, a partnership. Um, have a trainer. Have a horse that is, like you said, less maintenance. Um, there are so many things you can do. Or just, you know, do more groundwork. It's amazing. And I've only recently discovered the value of what is referred to as groundwork where you and the horse are um, doing things that exercise them both physically and mentally, but you are not in the saddle to do it. And I am amazed at if I put a little bit of time and effort into thinking about what we're going to do do and develop a little bit of a plan, how much that transfers into what I do under saddle. Example, when I first got Nigel, um, Nigel's a little bit of a chicken heart. 
He loves going out, and every horse in the world is his friend as long as he's riding with him. But every horse on the planet that is on the other side of a fence as we walk past is a dragon that's going to eat him. So we had an issue whenever we would walk around our neighborhood that if he saw another horse in a field that came towards him, it was exit stage left and head home in a hurry. So we had to work on that because that's not something I really wanted to do. Um, yeah, no. But yeah. So I, I started to break it down into tiny itty bitty little pieces and doing things on the ground that eventually got us to the point that we no longer exit stage left and run home. But it was something new for me because because coming up through the ranks over many, many years, too many decades to mention, things that were a problem under saddle were always solved under saddle. If you had a horse that was having difficulties with um, spooking at something and spinning and heading home, you didn't do that on the ground. You got in the saddle, you got him to do what he was going to do, and then you punished him. I'm going to use my air quotes. You punished him. You put your leg on him, you hit him with a spur, you snapped him with the crop, something, to let the horse know that that was a really unpleasant thing to do. Now, in many cases for the horse, getting near that scary thing was way more unpleasant than anything I was going to do to him. So not always successful. So well, yeah, most of the time when a horse is doing that, they're spooking at something. Guess what? They're already terrified. They're already terrified. And all I'm doing is making them more terrified. So you spur them <laughs> and they're like, oh, that helped. Let's just throw that on top of my ball of fear I already have. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, and and I still have to make sure I, I don't disagree with punishment. Um, it's the least effective form of training, but it does have a place sometimes. But I have to make sure when I'm correcting my horse, you know, is, is this going to do anything for you? Is this going to help you? Are you, you know, and they're never doing anything out of malice. That's the other thing is your horse isn't trying to be a bad horse. He's just trying to be a horse. And, you know, it's our job to help them through it. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not the horse against you. It's you guys together against the world. You've got to help him. And if you think about it that, you know, you're teaming up to help each other through your issues, you know, I think it'll give you a little bit more confidence to go out there and get it done. If you, and, and when I say put in the time, this does not mean knuckle down and get on the dang horse. Dang it. If you do not feel comfortable, you do not get on that horse. Don't do it. There's plenty of stuff you can do to help get your horse through things on the ground where both of you are going to stay safe. You don't have to cowboy up and, and ride the horse. I just did a cult starting, um, uh, competition uh, a couple weeks ago in Tennessee and I was the last one on my horse um, in just about every session but the final session and um, you know the other trainers were really gifted at working things out from the horse's back and if they did a little something here and there they'll just work it out from there and that's fine but I know me and I didn't get on, not because I was scared, but because this is how I like to go at things. And I actually got marked down by the judges. Um, they had me last in every session, but the Aww. final. And yeah, I was like, hey, I know what I'm doing. I got this. Um, but they were kind of worried that I wasn't tackling this issue because my horse wasn't bucking around and I wasn't like 
kicking up clouds of dust and I wasn't getting on him and just writing it out. I was, I was like, nope, I have been here before. I know what I'm doing. I like to quietly work those knots out in the horse. And a lot of this involves groundwork. I don't, you know, it's, it's like if you get a big knotted rope, if you, if you go in and pull on it really hard, you're just going to tighten the knot. If you get yep. a knife out and, yep. and cut the knot in half, you, your knot's not of any use, your rope's not of any use to you anymore. So I just sit there and I just, I, I spend the time, I work out that knot. And by the time I got to the finals, my horse was so good. I, I got on his back. I had not done, um, we had the option to like bring obstacles to our round pin because we had to do an obstacle course in the end and like cross our horse over bridges and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I had not crossed my horse over a bridge. I had not really handled a rope on him at all until the final round. I hadn't drug anything off of him. And guess what? He did it perfect. He was the best at it. He was so good. He was so relaxed because I took that extra time on the ground. So groundwork is not a waste. If you don't feel comfortable, I was in a cult starting competition and, and the judges finally gave me some credit and they bumped me up to reserve champion and I got second place. Um, and I, you know, they gave me some really excellent feedback at the end of it. And, you know, they said, wow, you got that horse going really well. So I felt completely validated, but I was in a competition where the goal is to get on this thing and do as much as you can in a few hours. And I knew no, I am not getting on until I have this worked out. I will not do it. It's not good for me. It's not good for the horse. So you can spend this time on the ground. And if it takes you months before you're back on, don't don't fret. You know, you you can learn to love groundwork as much as the riding. And when you get back on the horse, it'll like he's it it will be like he's always been there waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. And if if you're if you're not a professional like Mary is. Having a trusted trainer who is on board with training from the ground and getting those incremental pieces worked out, who's on board with that with you, who's like, yes, we let's do this with you, another partner in your training, having that person who can give you feedback that, yes, you're doing this stuff from the ground, but you're also doing it correctly from the ground and you're making progress from the ground because it's easy if you're coming at this from a place of insecurity, I'm not going to call it fear because I think that's the wrong word. You're not secure if you're coming from it from that point of view. Okay, I'm going to do this on the ground because I'm not getting on my horse. Um, doesn't feel good. You want to make sure you're doing that groundwork, not as a way to avoid that training process. Because you can do all sorts of things on the ground and not actually get any training done. I've seen that many, many times. Um, that doesn't mean training has to look like a uh, fire breathing dragon and wide eyed and dust getting kicked up. Like you said, it can, it can appear to the outsider to be very quiet and very methodical. And it's like, there doesn't seem to be a lot going on here. It can look that way, but it can also look like it's training when in fact, there's really no training going on there. The, you know, the horse is just moving around. Make sure you really are taking small increments. Keep a notebook. Um, have somebody video you so that uh, four, four weeks later, you had a horse that your starting goal was to get him to uh, give his haunches and give his shoulders. And four weeks later, um, no, not really. He goes around in little circles, but he doesn't give one or the other on command. He pivots around his middle. 
Yes, he's moving, but your goal was to give the haunches or give the shoulders on command, and that didn't happen. So keep yourself a journal. Have somebody else who's a someone who's on your side and on your horse's side watch you and have that conversation so that not only are you doing your groundwork from the ground where both you and your horse are safe and happy, but you're also making the progress you need to make because you're using up a lot of time to do it. You don't want to waste it. Yep, I I agree. I dun, concur. Dun, dun. <laughs> so how's that, eh? Yeah, that was that's quite an elaborate training tip. I, I hope that's working for <laughs> they people. They always are, Mary. And, they always are. Yes, hey, and, um, yeah. speaking of training tips, yes, we've got some hot weather tips for you today. Ooh, yeah. Our I knew our titles. Was, I'm in Texas. Yeah. Well, you you've got flies in Texas. Well. The flies are already here in the south because you're in the south and so am I here in Ocala, Florida. And they will be arriving in the north very soon. (laughs) Had to do that. And you can offer your horse the maximum protection from the Rambo Protector from Horsewear. That's right. The Rambo Protector is a fly sheet that is specifically designed to offer superior protection from your for your horse from both flying insects and sunlight. It's made from a unique patented fabric that is super soft and comfortable, and it also provides UV protection and maximum breathability. The Rambo Protector offers maximum coverage with its UV front closure. I have that on several of Nigel's blankets, and it's awesome. And the sure-fit neck design. So it's improved so that it offers greater coverage while grazing. And it's got a supersized tail flap to cover up their bum and keep it there. And leg arches and a belly protection so that their tummy is protected. And it's easy and horse husband approved because it's got three straight surcingles and no leg straps. Woohoo! The fly sheet offer also offers a tail strap so that it doesn't fly up over their bum in the wind. And a shine-enhancing polyester shoulder and mane lining so that their manes don't get messed up. And it's very durable because it's a Rambo. And everybody knows Rambo makes very durable products. And it's going to protect your horse for many seasons. You can find out more at horseware.com. And if you have one of those local tack shops that has the latest and greatest in their inventory, you're probably going to find it there. Ha ha! I have that for my horse, Guthrie, who not only is allergic to flies, but most fly sprays as well. Oh, so, no! Uh, have my sheet. Yeah. <laughs> that poor, poor, poor Guffers. horse. And, uh, you know, I finally, we've been dealing with navicular for years, and I finally, like, have this clear path to possible soundness. I'm so excited. And he developed cellulitis this week, so we're treating that. I've got to go give him a big antibiotic shot as soon as we're done here. Ugh. Well, I'm glad you caught that early, because cellulitis is not something to fool around with. My vet, actually, when I was telling her the list of things this horse has gone through, she goes, I'm surprised you haven't dealt with cellulitis before. And I'm like, you know what? Me too. Me too. So I have only ever had to take care of one horse that had cellulitis. And he didn't have it while he was under my care. Um, He'd had it several years before. But apparently, once they have it, the likelihood of reoccurrence is pretty high. And we always had to be super, super diligent about any time the horse had a puffiness anywhere. It's like, okay, take... And I guess, am I right that whenever they have have cellulitis, they generally run a uh, elevated temperature too? 
Yes. So it can elevate their temperature and that, you know, between that and they've the leg that they have cellulitis on, you know, they'll, uh, compensate with their other legs so they can even develop laminitis and founder Yikes. Due to that. And he did have, I didn't take his temperature, um, but his nostrils were blowing a little bit and he felt warm to touch. So I knew he was probably running a bit of a fever. And um, so we did the vet, we did poultice, we did heavy duty antibiotics. We've got butte going on and it's slowly oh, going down. Horse. Yeah, that poor doofus. I love that horse. Guffer's the doofus. <laughs> He's just, <sighs> I thought he was foundering at first because when it happened, I didn't notice that his leg was really that swollen. He's got a winter coat. And he was walking real straight like it. So I thought, oh, he's got laminitis. So I get my little cl- easy boot clouds out and get some butte out and I'm ready to treat him, you know, get him, you know, help him until I can get the vet. And then I look down at his leg and it looked like a stovepipe. I'm like, oh, no. So I don't know which one would have been better. Probably the cellulitis was the better of the two. <sighs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because the whole founder thing, once you go down that road, oh, man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of going down the road, uh, we've got some listener questions, and I think Sam Dorney is up first, is he not? Yes. Is Sam uh, he or she? I didn't even look at their profile picture. Um. So Sam Dorney, uh, we've got a couple of questions from Sam is, you. Sam is one of our auditors, is, is she not? Yes. yes. And uh, I'm out of the auditor room, so I don't know if Sam is is guy or girl. So I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> so we've been practicing trailer loading at home. This is the question. We've been practicing trailer loading at home and taking short practice rides. I'd like to start taking my horses to trail rides, shows, etc. But what tips and tricks do you have if we get there and he won't get back in the trailer to come home? We've all seen it, and I am scared to death that I'll end up being that girl. Yes, and we have all been that girl. I've totally been this person. Been that girl recently. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Um, once we start going new places, what strategies do you use to help make it a calm, stress-free, positive experience for horse and rider? So I would say, um, I don't know if this has actually happened to your horse where you, you, he won't get back on the trailer to go home. Every time it's happened to me, um, was an instance where my horse wasn't really that good on getting on the trailer to go in the first place, but I sort of ignored it. I was like, really excited to go on the trail ride or the show. So they weren't perfect getting on. And I'm like, ah, you'll be fine. You'll want to go home. Well, no, when they're tired, it's the end of the day. It might be getting dark out. Um, if they're like my Mustang, I had a few years ago, sweet, sweet horse. But if she didn't want to do something, it was not going to happen. It was not. And I could not get her on the trailer. It took hours. Um, so hindsight 2020, I should have looked at the signs she was giving me and she said, I'm not really that comfortable getting on this thing. And I thought you'll get used to it. And some, most of the time you can get away with it. Um, but if you ever have that feeling like, ah, they're not really being that great on getting on practice loading them a couple of times, see if you can help them through it. Um, and then when it does come time to go home, you know, plan this out. Do not be the last person in the parking lot. Do not wait till nightfall. Make yeah. sure you have plenty of time and plenty of light. Make sure there's someone there to help you. And um, uh, this is the problem I ran into 
with my Mustang is the person who was very good and tried to help me did not apply the pressure carefully enough and and she it would have been better that I just do it myself because she just decided nah um so you are in charge of the show if someone offers to help you you can tell them no thank you um or you can you know you can direct them on what you'd like them to do but it's your horse your situation. Um, if you feel like, man, this person knows more than me and they can really help me and you can hand the reins over to them, that's fine. But if you don't feel comfortable, you can don't, say no. you know, yep. yeah, you can I've gotten say good no. at saying thank you very much. I do appreciate it, but we're good because all yes. of my training with Nigel, because I know when I travel 99% of the time, I travel alone. I have to have this figured out so that we are both happy and comfortable loading mm-hmm. and unloading without any help at all. Yes. And until that happened, um, I made sure that when I went somewhere, I would have somebody, like you said, that I felt absolutely comfortable. Thank you very much, Denise Raymond, of saying, <laughs> can you give me a hand? Because and that's, I think, something that many, many people don't realize. You practice loading and unloading at home. When you go away from home, from the horse's point of view, many, many, many of the criteria have changed. And for Nigel, at least, this horse has taught me a lot about being hyper-observant because on the outs- on the inside, he is hyper-observant, although you wouldn't note it on the outside because he's not a wide-eyed, ears-forward kind of a guy, but he's extremely observant. When you go away from home and you're loading to go home, there are people walking behind the horse. Some horses, that's a trigger because they've been zhuzhed into a trailer from behind in a bad way and it's a bad memory for them. So that's a trigger to, to rebel. Um, sometimes you don't have the horse, the trailer configured the same way you do at home. You have stuff in the front that you don't normally have. You have the front door closed. You have a different horse in front of them. Many, 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 many criteria change. So if you're not prepared for that in that at home, you change the criteria around and mix it up and get used to it. That could be a trigger. Because he's, he's got past experience. He started out as a bad trailer. Um, th- that can happen. Um, one of the things I ne- have found that really helps Nigel is to have a over-the-counter product made for ulcer remediation on board. Is, it really yes. helps him. Believe Especially it or not, it helps hauling. him on the way home. It doesn't yes. seem to make any difference on the way there, but if, if he's got it for on the way home, it makes a difference. So I think, you know, that those things get stirred up while he travels. Um, what else? Um, oh, something else that light bulb moment. Many regular listeners will remember the fiasco that was the Black Prong Endurance event for us, where things did not go as planned. And I withdrew halfway through because it wasn't going well and it wasn't going to get any better. It was very painful for me to do that. I was in tears. I failed. Okay. Um, but ta- and after that, Nigel took up, you know, I used to load really good, but not so much anymore. Because for him, it's like, okay, that totally sucked. I got in a horse trailer and my two days totally sucked. Take a long, hard look at what your horse is doing when you get where you're going. You might think he's enjoying it and he's happy and comfortable, but maybe not. Take a long, hard look at that. And my final word on the topic, and I've seen this happen many, 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 many times. Take a long, hard look at how you drive your horse trailer. 
Yes. This is something we don't think about. Yeah. If you've, if not, take, do this test. And I did this a very long time ago, um, back before, you know, kids used to ride around in the back of your pickup truck and drive around town and people considered it safe. Ride around in the back of your own trailer and have somebody who maybe isn't a really great driver of horse trailers, you know, drive around the block in your neighborhood or through the field or something and get a feel for that. It's, some horses require you to treat them like fine crystal when they're in the trailer. What one horse is like, I'm cool with that. Another horse finds that really disconcerting. So take a long, hard look at that. Yeah. Have you ever had a horse fall down in the horse trailer? I have not. Thank goodness. Knock on wood, knock on wood. Yeah. I, I grew up when I first learned to drive because the minute I got my driver's license, I also got my horse trailer. It's like you take yourself, you know? My parents were totally overdriving me places at that point. They had full-time jobs already. Um, so I learned very early on to be an extremely thoughtful driver because the first horse I hauled around was what we used to call a scrambler. Every time you'd make a turn, um, the horse would lean against the wall and literally fall down in the horse trailer. So wherever we got to, we got to every horse show, she'd be sitting in the horse trailer when we dropped the <laughs> ramp and, you know, have totally peeled the skin off of her hips. Oh. So we'd take it out, we'd get her out, and we'd get, and put stuff on their hips, and off we'd go to the horse show all day, every day. Um, so I learned to be very, very, very careful early on. Now, many horses I've hauled over the years, they're like, so what? So if you have to put the brake on and come to a stop at that traffic light in a little bit quicker than I normally would, they're fine with it. Um, so take a long, hard look at that, ride in the back of that trailer and see what the scoop is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That'll be, that'll be lots of fun. Um, you know, and, and when you do, uh, you know, the other part of that question is hauling the horse out, um, short trips close to home. If you can either with a friend or with one of your own horses, I like to take them with another horse. <gasps> Good idea. And yeah. usually, yes, usually the new horse, their job, the first few events that I have is you just come on a ride with us and hang out. You can practice standing tied to the trailer, eating your hay while I do the stuff with the other horse. And, you know, you'll load in the back slot. You watch the good horse load up, you know, the experienced horse load up. And, um, uh, so if you can haul with friends with yeah, good experienced good horses and yeah. And I had a, uh, a friend of mine, she got this rescue horse in that was would load right in the trailer, but then would act terrified in the trailer. So what she did every morning was load the horse up, put him in the trailer, and go to town and eat breakfast. And the horse would get to sit in the parking lot every morning and then go home <laughs> and load the horse. And, you know, so just it, it's short. There's not a lot of pressure. It's not like, oh, we took for an hour to get in the trailer. And now we've got to get ready for the show and we're going to be here all day. And then we got to get them on the trailer at the end, you know, just haul them, haul them to town and back and, uh, you know, just build, build their experience from there. Just, just the practice of just going to town, even if they don't do anything, mm -hmm. will do a lot to getting them toward that. You know, some nice people, some people put, um, hay in the trailer when they travel and some people don't. Where, where do you I fall do. on that spectrum? I do. I won't put grain in the trailer or, or cubes because like if my horse is tied and they experience choke, they can't put their head down. Um, I put hay in the trailer because um, I want them to like, I have mangers in my trailer. So when they load up, I want them to go, oh, sweet 
hey. Um, but then, you know, when I'm on the road, I want them to be eating something yeah. uh, because jumps, I, yeah. yeah, sometimes yeah. I'll be on the road for eight hours and I want something in their belly. Um, we always make uh, sure it's super yummy hay. Yeah. Yeah, because there's, yeah. the, there's hay and there's hay, at least here in Florida, um, especially for Scooter, who's on a cardboard, chopped up cardboard diet. Uh, we always make sure that each of our horses gets just a couple of handfuls every day of either alfalfa or peanut, which is <laughs> the southern version of alfalfa, so <laughs> that they are they know what it is and their tummies know what it is, so that when we go away, there's always about a half a flake of alfalfa in that hay net. So when they first get in the trailer, oh, bonus, but it's a long enough bonus. It'll take them an hour to eat that half a flake. Um, it really lasts. So they get, they associate trailer rides in general with the super yummiest hay ever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Really well, we good. have a second half really of this question, answer. don't we? Uh, okay. So this is a is this a, or is this a different from- person? Same person, different question. Um, My horse is returning from a broken navicular bone and extensive soft tissue damage in her hind foot, freak accident in the pasture. She is sick of stall rest and can be a bit wild. My vet told me she's never allowed to lunge or round pin again because the repetitive small circles stress the damaged area. Do you have any suggestions to help rid of some of the excess energy before I ride. She's allowed to walk trot and canter as long as she doesn't start showing discomfort. So yeah, so lunging in small circles, even if your horse is completely sound, that is a pretty, it it can wreak havoc on them if you do this repetitively over and over and over again. They're better off with nice big straight lines, which can be hard to accomplish on the ground. So some of the things I work on with a horse like this or any horse, because I don't want to just always lunge. I don't want to waste my horse on the ground before I get on, especially if I'm, you know, going to an event. Um, I want them bright and perky, but listening and relaxed as well. Um, So like one little exercise that I'm working on with Remy that doesn't take any exertion. um, I've taught him to stand on a mark and he gets clicked and treated for this. Um, And he stands tied perfectly when I uh, saddle him up and groom him every day. Um, But I've decided we need to get our mark training much better. Uh, So he'll stand on it for a few moments and then he gets really antsy. Uh, He doesn't, he thinks he deserves a cookie because he stood on it for five whole seconds. Um, And he needs to start, you know, doing that longer and wait for the cookies. Um, And because I don't have him physically restrained to something, I've taken away that crutch of being tied So he wants to kind of step off the mat or go back, you know, walk back a couple of steps or, um, so I've made it a habit every day of when we go out, you're going to stand on this mat while I groom you. So I put him in the middle of the arena, park him on his mat. And when he's nice and calm and relaxed, and when I find those moments while I'm grooming him up for the day, I'll click and treat. If he leaves the mat, I'll simply correct him by leading him back on, putting him back there. He doesn't get a reward for making the mistake and going back to it because I had to correct him. Um, And so over time, he's going to learn that the first thing we start with every day is being still, being relaxed listening. You'll get rewarded for those things. And this is before I even start my quote unquote training session. So that's a fun little thing I've been doing with Remy. Um, so working on things like ground tying, there's a lot of groundwork you can do that doesn't involve lunging in small circles. 
So I don't know if your horse can do lateral things like you can work on yielding their hindquarters. You <gasps> ding, can ding, yield ding, their... ding, 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 ding. Yeah. That's an awesome one. Yeah, I do that a yes. lot with uh, Scooter because Scooter yeah. can be a little bit high and you can't do lateral work in a carriage. Um, but that's a great one because it's almost like a combination of weightlifting and yoga for your horse. It really requires exactly. a great deal of muscular effort without the adrenaline associated with going fast around in a circle. And the concussiveness of and the trotting. Concussiveness, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's a word, but, you know, we'll say it is. We'll say it is. Yeah. Um, I like it. Yeah, so you can yield the hindquarters, yield the forequarters. You can um, side pass them, on the, teach them to side pass on the ground. You can work on leading. So I do this a lot with horses that I have to show in hand because in the in the show, they need to stay right by my side with a loose lead rope. They need to stop when I stop without me having to pull or jerk on them. They need to back when I want them to back. They need to trot when I pick up a trot. So you can do that on the rail. So nice, big, straight line. You can work the energy out of them that way. I like to play a little game where... Um, I do this with the horse a little bit further away from me than leading, but I get them to stay. I want them to match my stride and stay beside me and I'll walk them um, to different points of my arena. So I'll pick a spot and see if I can get my horse's nose to touch that spot on the arena. If you want to really uh, like make a, make a game of it, you could set Coke cans up on the, uh, or, you know, soda cans up on the post on the post and see if you can get your horse to knock them off with his nose. Cause you're aiming right for that can on the fence. Uh, so you could do that at a walk and a trot, um, you could work on lateral flexion, vertical flexion, backing. There's a ton of stuff you can do on the ground to get your horse listening without having to do the small energetic circles of the lunging. Lunging only takes you so far anyway. Yeah. So yeah. those are my tips well, and for that. Lunging can often, depending on how it's done, fall into that hole. It works until the horse gets fit. Exactly. Right. So why start it? Then you have to show up two weeks early to the <laughs> yeah. show to start lunging your horse. Something I do with uh, big lumbering oaf Nigel, and I see a lot of people do with horses to help them dispel excess energy. Uh, a lot of times it's mental energy. They're just like, woohoo, I feel high, uh, is lengthening and shortening of the stride. First at the walk. Yes. Less, probably that less so at the walk, but one. at the trot especially because that lets him move on. But get really good at that so that when you ask the horse to do it when he's feeling a little bit zippy, it's not like, how dare you? Oh, no, we do this every single time we ride. We start out with walk, trot, three steps, walk, trot, three steps, walk, trot, three steps, walk. Okay, we're cool with that. That'll usually take 8 to 12 transitions in quick succession. We're talk, you know. Gets good at that. Okay, we're willing to trot balanced and not lean into my hand and go quick. Trot five steps, walk, trot five steps, lengthen three steps, shorten two steps. So that those transitions of either gait or length of stride, and if it doesn't have to be fancy dressage length of stride, it's going to be a little bit the speed and a little bit the stride, um, as long as they're obedient. Very, very, very quick succession. No more than 12 strides of anything in a row. Until I, and I literally feel him breathe. <gasps> oh, look at that. You can breathe while you're under saddle. Good boy. Then we're ready to actually move on to our working plan for the day that we're going to work on X, Y, or Z. Now, this other one I have, this is a quiz question for you. Would teaching a single rein stop to a horse 
be beneficial in this respect in that you can't be doing lots of little bitty circles to get them to come back to you mentally? Um, yes. So, so you're saying working, using one rein stops to get the horse listening to you. That's yes. Because yeah. when yes. I, when I first, the first time I ever had a horse that someone taught me to teach this to the horse, the goal was that as soon as you pick up the inside rein, the horse does his own half halt, so to speak, because he's going, oh, are you going to tell me to stop? So they sit back on their haunches a little bit and go, I'm ready for you. Can you kind of take me take me through what a single rein stop is and how it can be beneficial in that respect? Okay, so this is actually a great question. And I actually pair this uh, a version of this exercise with clicker training to get an amazing half halt and even a complete halt. So the a simple one rein stop is I'm riding along on a loose rein. And also I like to, if, if it's not an emergency stop, like your horse is doing fine, you just want to work on this. Before I pick up, I'm going to sit deep in that saddle and breathe and count one Mississippi, two Mississippi before I pick up. So that will also get your horse realizing when I stop riding, when I relax, you should come down and relax. Because if you do this over and over and over, sit, relax, pick up the rein, one rein stop. Then the next time, one of these times you're going to sit, relax, and they're going to go, oh, this is when we stop. I should probably come to stop. (laughs) So you can get your horse stopping off your seat really well. You can even incorporate the word whoa if you want to. Um, But I usually just sit, relax, and I slide my hand down one rein or the other, not both reins. So we'll say I slide my hand down the right rein. And then I draw the horse's nose to the right. So I bring my hand out. I don't pull straight back. I bring it out and around and kind of rest it on my hip. And what I want the horse to do is um, step his hindquarters away from my right leg um, because I've kind of bound him up to the point where I've stopped his front end from moving. So he's going to swing his hindquarters away from my right leg. So he's swinging his hindquarters to the left. And I will just hold my hand at my hip until he completes, he stops yielding and he comes to a complete stop and softens to the rein. Um, So that's a very basic one rein stop that I teach all my colts. And it's a great way to get a horse shut down um, if they're wanting to be rambunctious. And once I teach it to my colt and I'm like, okay, you understand how to do this so we can use this if we're ever in trouble. Um, But you can also use it for teaching them to govern their own speed. Um, so I don't want to constantly be pulling on my horse and trying to make him stay slow. Riding with constant contact is absolutely fine, but you don't want it to be a crutch to keep your horse from doing bad things. So I practice a lot of loose reins to keep that from happening. So let's say my horse wants to, doesn't want to walk. Every time I give him a loose rein, he wants to pick up a trot and then a canter and his mind runs away with him. I'm after I come out of that first one rein stop, I'm going to ask him to walk, give him a nice loose rein, trust him to be the best boy he can be. And he might walk a couple of strides and they go, no, I have to trot. If he picks up a trot, I'm going to relax my seat. Don't go with him with your seat. Relax, pick up. And this time I'll do the opposite rein, draw down on that left rein, pick up, yield all the way to a stop. Once he stops, I'm going to let him sit there a moment and then ask him again. Now, this time, maybe he'll get five whole walk strides before he has to trot. As soon as he, I'll let him break into a trot, let him make the mistake, sit down, relax, breathe, one rein stop. 
And it might be days of he can only walk five strides before he takes off. But one of these times he's going to realize, well, every time I do that, she makes me stop. Um, so maybe you'll go from five feet to 10 feet to 20 feet and you can tease him out on those longer and longer distances. Um, so, so those are, uh, so, so those are some really good things. You can even pair that yielding the hindquarters by getting him to yield his hindquarters instead of coming to a complete stop, ask him to back a couple strides. So that way, so that's going into making a really nice half halt. If I always yield the hindquarters a couple strides, back a couple strides, and you know, so I'll, I'll make my one rein stops a little bit more advanced, so to speak. So then when I go to pick up my reins, he's going to think, yield, soften, back, which is exactly the kind of thing I want to happen when I pick up both my reins at some point and ask for a half halt. If he always equates that picking up the reins of soften to the reins, get back off of the reins, then you'll have a pretty nifty half halt working for you. Ding, 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 ding. Awesome exercise. I have to go try that. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> well, I think it's time to take a little short break here. And we're going to enjoy a little song. And when we come back, we're going to have our guest, Rebecca Bowman. So let's enjoy a little bit of Templeton Thompson. There's a bluebird on some barbed wire. There ain't no clouds. Yes, looking like a beautiful day so I was thinking I'd go walking down the dirt road Baby, stop it, smell the roses Take it easy, cause it's looking like a beautiful day Beautiful day, yeah, yeah 
听。We've got Rebecca on the phone, Rebecca Bowman, who's here to talk to us about tip challenges and other cool stuff. Take it away, Mary. Oh, no, Mary, you're on mute. Hello? (laughs) Mary's on mute because Mary is (laughs) well-behaved. Oh, my goodness. One of these days I'll get through a show without having technical difficulties. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Uh, Rebecca. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, Okay. So now that I'm not on mute, um, you guys uh, that are listening may have heard me talk about something called a tip challenge, um, which I'm doing with a Mustang who's going to be shown at the Midwest Horse Fair in April coming up soon. Oh my gosh, no pressure. So uh, we're talking with Rebecca, who is the trainer who puts on this challenge. Rebecca, you are a trainer out of Georgia. Can you give us a little bit of uh, information about you, about your background, and and, uh, what you're doing with horses? Yes, um, I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, just north of Atlanta, and I have a a farm, and I offer boarding, and have lots of of Mustangs and thoroughbreds at my farm. We have uh, have shows, we have horse shows once a month. And we also, we stay pretty busy between the Mustangs and the thoroughbreds. Awesome. And uh, so you have been working with a ton of Mustangs. I've seen you at a lot of makeovers over the years. You were just recently in the finals at the Mustang Magic. You had a really cool horse for, for that. Um, what led you to start working with Mustangs? So I watched a competition about... 11 years ago and just decided I wanted to give it a try. And as you know, Mary, once you encounter one Mustang, um, you just, you can't stay away from them. Yeah. They're like potato chips. They're, uh, they're pretty addicting and you can't, I think every one of us has had a moment where we're like, Oh, I'm not going to do a Mustang makeover this year. I I think I'm just going to give it a break. And that of course never works out. Um, they're pretty addicting. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? So I have found a way to where I don't have to get quite as many myself, and um, but I can get a, find a lot of Mustangs new homes by hosting tip challenges. And this is something, um, so they've been around, I've, I've seen and heard of these chip challenges for the last few years. Um, what what does the tip and tip challenge mean, and and what uh what about these competitions makes them a little bit different from your typical Mustang makeover? So a tip challenge is sponsored by the Mustang Heritage Foundation, and um, they sponsor a tip challenge where anyone can apply to to be in a tip challenge. You do not have to be a tip trainer, and tip challenges are in hand only competitions which makes it accessible to a, to a few more people than a Mustang makeover. Not everyone is capable of riding a wild Mustang in 90 days, but um, a tip challenge is all in hand, which, which, which is, is a lot of fun. 
Um, and that, even for me, I've done a lot of Mustang makeovers, but, uh, with this mare I have now, she's doing really great on the ground. Um, but I've had to go out of town, uh, a couple weeks here and there, and, and I have not had the time to put concentrated rides on her. So it's kind of a breath of fresh air for me as well. Cause I'm like, it's not required that I ride her. Of course I want to get her riding really well, but it's, uh, it's nice to have, just that space and time to be able to really concentrate on that groundwork and you don't have the pressure of, oh man, I have to get on because those are the classes. So when you say in hand, obviously we're on the ground with the horse. Um, how, what's the format like? Uh, what are the, what are there? Is there finals? What are the preliminary classes like? Uh, what kind of structure do you have going on with that? So each tip challenge is a little bit different. Um, from the others. So um, the Midwest Horse Fair, which is my challenge that's coming up, is uh, we have a three preliminary classes, an in-hand pattern class um, where competitors will have to perform a certain pattern, trot to a cone, halt, maybe pivot, side pass. Um, there'll be a handling and conditioning class where they will uh, be required to load a horse in a trailer, pick up the seat, um, everyday things, brush a horse that you might encounter on a daily basis. Um, and the third class is a trail class. And in Wisconsin, only the top 10 will make the finals. And I think that, that Wisconsin is the first time where youth are going to be competing against the adults. Um, so that's kind of exciting. And um, the youth do such a great job in hand, and they've had so much more practice at it, I think, than some of the adults. Um, so, yes, so uh, we were just exciting. talking about like the uh, the freestyles. Uh, someone asked in our little tip challenge group, like, you know, what ideas do you have for a freestyle? And everyone's saying, go watch the youth videos because these kids and competing with the kids, it's it's not unfair to the kids at all. It's almost unfair to us adults because these kids are amazing. <laughs> the stuff that they come up with for these freestyles is insane. And they have truckloads of obstacles and they're doing liberty and the horses are laying down. And so it's, it's actually scary for me to go up against some of these youth kids. And, um, so completely agree. Oh yeah. yeah. So I think the freestyles of these events can be every bit as exciting, if not even more so than what you see in a Mustang makeover where we have people riding the horse in the freestyle, um, of any of these things you've been a part of, have there been any particular performance that has stuck out to you that you thought, wow, that's a really cool idea that they did, or uh, you thought it was just a really neat performance? There is, as you know, Mary, seeing every time I go to, whether it's a tip challenge or a Mustang makeover, I think to myself, oh my gosh, I didn't think that was possible. How in the world did they come up with that? Um, there's just so many neat ideas. There's a, a girl from my barn that's done, uh, she's done six, I believe, Mustang makeovers or tip challenges. And uh, her last few Mustangs she has taught to not only sit, and she's had yearlings, so they're small, sit and lay down on the couch and be covered by a blanket. <laughs> oh, For those so who want a couch potato horse, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's just, there's no end to what you can teach them. And I think her Mustang before that, I think she taught it to load in the trailer from the backfield at my farm. And my farm is 178 acres. So 
when she stands in the back corner of the backfield and yells trailer and lets it go and it runs out the gate through the laneways to the horse trailer and gets in the trailer. Oh my gosh. So there's just no end to things you can teach them. So Rebecca, for the uninitiated, the extreme makeovers, the competitors have to ride their Mustangs after 90 days, right? Correct. Yeah. So for the tip challenges, what is the time frame, and are there specific skills that the horse um, needs to show at the competitions? And if so, what are they? So the specific skills, they need to be able to lead, obviously. Lead, pick up their feet, load on a horse trailer, uh, pivot. Um, so they're just some of the side paths. They're some of the basic things that they need to know by the competition. Now, is there a specific time frame required between from adoption date to competition date? Um, so it varies a little bit. Um, for the Midwest Horse Fair, they only had 90 days uh, because time constraints, weather. Um, so from pickup date to competition, they had 90 days. For my challenge last year, they had almost 120 days. Um, so it... A tip challenge is, is similar to a makeover in the fact that they do pick up their horses um, at an assigned place and date. Um, some tip challenges, you're allowed to choose your own horse. Um, some you're not. Some you're assigned horses. Oh, so it, it will vary. Okay. Yeah. So, it's, so there's sort of a lot of leeway up to the person hosting the tip challenge. Um, I'm hosting one in, in uh, November in Las Vegas. And... Uh, we are allowing people to choose their horses for that. I would, are the ones where the trainer gets to choose their horse, do they tend to get more entries, more trainers that enter them? I would think so. I think they do. Yes, I think they do. Um, I have 61 horse, 61 horses were picked up for the Midwest wow. Tip Challenge. And I had 95 horses picked up for my tip challenge last year in Georgia. So, at the end of the tip challenge, are all of the horses required to be, I'm going to use my air quotes, auctioned off? Is it optional? How does, how does that part work? So how a tip challenge works is when, when the competitor picks up their horse, they pay for their horse and sign the paperwork. So there is no required auction at the end. Um, at the end of the tip challenge, um, you are allowed to sell your horse if you would like to, if it's a... The Wisconsin horses were all sale authority horses, so the competitors completely owned them when they picked them up. Um, in Georgia, some of the horses were on a BLM contract, so um, so if they wanted to, and I did have an option in Georgia for those that chose to participate, mm -hmm. and the BLM was on hand to do transfers of the horses that uh, that that changed hands. So that's going to vary a little bit from each competition to the next. So. Let's say I'm a farm owner in Illinois, and I think this is the coolest thing ever. I want to help more Mustangs get trained and get homes. What do you have advice-wise, and how does the whole process work as someone who hosts a tip challenge? So to host a tip challenge, um, the best way to do that is go to the Mustang Heritage Foundation, to their website, and... Um, They'll give you a list of requirements. 
Um, I think for someone new getting in first, possibly try, just try to participate in a tip challenge, go to some tip challenges, learn more about them. Um, tip challenges are a, a great way to get a lot of horses into new homes. Do you have uh, do you have a, like an unofficial tally of how many you've been able to get into homes through these tip challenges? Um, probably unofficial. Uh, this is my Wisconsin is my the third challenge I've hosted. Las Vegas. Well, I hope to have one in Georgia again this year. So I hope by the end of this year I'll hit close to five hundred. Holy cow! That's awesome. Five hundred. Yeah. So I hope so. And I, I have participated in 10 extreme Mustang makeovers myself. So like Mary said earlier, these Mustangs are kind of addictive. Yeah, there's something about them. Even even the ones that uh, that kick up a little bit more dust than you would prefer. I mean, there's it, it's like horse training graduate school to the extreme. I mean, if you think you're a pretty good trainer, go get a Mustang and, and let that Mustang... <laughs> Be your uh, be your measuring stick for how good you think you are, uh, but they're so and challenging. That, that is that is the truth. This yeah. year, after I got home from Mustang Magic, um, my thoroughbred makeover horse arrived a few days later, and it was so exciting to be able to jump on my thoroughbred right off the right? track with no like, no preparation. Wow. You already just, know things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I love them both. I love the thoroughbreds and the Mustangs, and they're so different. Um, but um, but that is so true. Yeah. Okay, so if, if someone listens to this and they're really excited and they want to get involved, uh, where can they go to see what tip challenges are available, or, you know, the ones you're a part of anyway, um, to possibly apply or uh, learn more information? So my Mustang um, tip challenges are on my website, which is NorfAtlantaEquestrian.com. And if you just go look under Mustang tip challenge, you can also see what, what, what ones are available on the Mustang Heritage Foundation website, which is MustangHeritageFoundation.org. Mine is NorfAtlantaEquestrian.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, well, Rebecca, for coming to the show. This was fascinating. I didn't know all that about um, the tip challenges and, and how many opportunities there are. And I think you need to get a belt buckle for the number of Mustangs you've helped transition into Forever Homes. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I'll be excited to see you in April. All right. Thanks a lot. I didn't know all that. Every time I think I kind of know what's going on with this whole Mustang thing, I learn more stuff. And I was surfing around while I was listening to Rebecca. And there are all these, I'm going to use competitive opportunities, more and more places where you can take your Mustang and compete against other Mustangs. Yes. And, and the, the one area I think that we need to cover more. So I love this tip challenge idea. It's a much more, it's still very competitive and it's still a great goal, but just kind of not having to have this, like, I got to get on this horse swimming overhead yes. and being able to play on the ground. Cause there's tons of people from youth trainers to people who are just really great at tricks and groundwork, or maybe it's your first Mustang and you just want to get your feet wet 
and not have the pressure of having to get on in such a short time frame, it's a great, great avenue for them to explore. And it's they've got great ex- incentives. They've got paybacks. And like for the finals at the Midwest Horse Fair, you get to show your horse during their night of the horse. So you're like in the same venue as Dan James and those types oh, of neat. crazy cool trainers. So it's a really, really neat event to be a part of. Um, so yeah, yeah. They need to do a little bit more where after you've done the tip challenge or the makeover, uh, they need more incentives in like big associations. So you can go and put your Mustang head to head against quarter horses or something like that. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think as the Mustang kind of comes out of the closet, so to speak, you'll see more and more of that. And it's, it's really cool. So on to the next breed, the Frisian. Anybody in the auditor's room will know what I'm referring to. You brought home a Frisian, the Hollywood favorite breed of horse. <laughs> What's going on with the Frisian? Oh my God. Yes. The Frisian. This is, I think everyone has this horse on their bucket list of horses I want to ride or own. I know I have. And uh, so I, I did the uh, Southern East Coin Expo in Murfreesboro, Tennessee a couple weeks ago. I was doing demos there in a cult starting competition. And a friend of mine, the lady who originally bought Guthrie. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. And then I bought Guthrie back from her. Uh, she uh, she has a barn right near there and was like, would you want to stop by and do a clinic or lessons? And I said, sure. And I went to this town that I want to move to yesterday. It's called Franklin, Tennessee. It's up near Nashville and like huge country stars live there. The Judds live there. Carrie Underwood's out there. There's a lot of big, yes, it's really cool. Um, and it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's idyllic. She's a lovely property out there. So I was doing some lessons and little mini clinics out there and she's got a Frisian named Clove who I think he's six years old, big, gorgeous gelding. And she was like, do you want to take him home with you to train? And I'm like, don't even joke about that because I will. (laughs) And I did. We had to make sure he fit in my trailer and he fit perfectly. And I got to ride him a little bit while I was there. And he's super, super cool and awesome. So he's in training with me uh, for the next few months. And he's a horse um, where Claire raised him from a foal. She um, she had his mother, and she he's got a really good foundation. He's got really good solid groundwork, but he just needs, like I said earlier, he just needs time. He needs to be hauled. He needs experiences. So he's going to be with me to get a few more wet saddle blankets and to go to different shows. And of course, I'm going to take him to everything that I can. Um, just so people will go, need, uh, <gasps> where'd that freezing come yes. from? Yeah. I need to get a photo shoot where I'm in full armor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's a really cool horse. Um, I've messed with Frisians a little bit here and there. Uh, this is my first like real long-term training Frisian project and I love him already. And his tail is like as thick as a tree trunk. So most of our training sessions have started with like this kind of Barbie doll horse grooming session where I'm just brushing his tail out and (laughs) taking pictures. Um, so he's going to be really cool. I'll be posting more updates on him soon. He's going to make a really nice horse for his owner. I have zero personal Frisian experience. 
but as a generalization, a stereotype, I'm guessing Frisians are going to be a little bit higher energy breed than your typical quarter horse? Actually, or not? Um, no, he's more like a drafty type of breed. Oh, interesting. He, um, okay. Yeah, he gets excited, but it's it's in slow motion. Like he'll throw a little crow hop, but I'm I look at that and I'm like, well, it's big, but I can ride it. And um, no, he's not really hot. He doesn't get fired up. He's he's a really good, good, solid citizen. Yeah, I think we're just he won't need much time and tune up. I think he's going to be a really dependable, big old happy guy. So he just, yeah, he not, just needs to go out and experience the world. Yes, he's like Guthrie if Guthrie had feathers. And was <laughs> three feet taller and higher headed. And so yeah. the owner has mm-hmm. a type. <laughs> yes, she went for Guthrie yes. too. <laughs> yeah, he's like Frisian Guthrie. Okay. Same kind of personality. Like can have some fun, but doesn't like to burn calories as a general rule. But without the foot problems. There you go. Hopefully, knock on wood. Not the foot problems. Very cool. Well, I think we have about exhausted our training energies for the day. Uh, Don't forget, everybody, Mary is here the second Thursday of every month. You can go to horsesinthemorning.com and find all of Mary's shows because there's little blocks about halfway down the page, and it says Mary Kitzmiller Training. You can just click on that, and it brings them all up at the same time for you. And you can also have all of the Horse Radio Network shows because we have heaps and loads of them with you wherever you go by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. You can follow us on Twitter if you like to live your life 150 characters at a time. Our handle is Horse Radio. Horse Radio Network programming is found on iTunes and all of your favorite podcatchers. For folks who like to appropriately stalk you, Mary, where can they find you online? You can find me at marykitzmiller.com or you can uh, find me at Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship on Facebook. And the one thing we didn't get into, you can find me on Instagram with MK Horsemanship and I have photos of my cow dog or dog cow. I'm not sure what he is yet. (gasps) Oh yeah, we didn't get to talk about baby cow and baby goat. So make sure you make a note to talk about baby cow and baby goat next time. Yes, yes. There we We go. We will do that. All right. We'll see you next month, Mary. All right. Hey, your your internet held up. (laughs) It did.